Dear Jesus, thank you so much for bringing us here today. We thank you for the cooler weather. We thank you for the boys and girls you give us to be ministers to them. Please lead and guide in all that we do and in our fellowship and in our ministry to them. In your name, amen. My name is Judy Schull, and for 34, 34 years I was teaching in the classroom. I taught everything from first grade through 10th grade. And a year ago, I quit being in the classroom. I was principal at the Greater Lansing Adventist School. And um, the December before, my husband and I started praying about maybe my leaving the classroom to do an independent ministry. So every sign from God says, yes, do that. And so for the last year, I have been working independently with Childhoods with Jesus, which is my own independent ministry. And that's been a lot of fun. And it's starting to get very busy with um, talking to people about how do you keep kids close to Jesus. And we're going to look at various ages. One of the things I wanted to look at is safety. If you're working with children, um, and if it's your church, check with your church to make sure they're doing things that are going to protect the children. In this day and age, we can't take anything for granted. And anywhere you're going to put your children, you want to make sure they're safe. Make sure your church has a safety plan and make sure you know what it is because these children in our care are in our care and we want to protect them. Also, anywhere you're working, and, if, and again, if you're taking your children to church, find out from your church, do they have a set of qualifications for somebody working with the children? Again, that's really important. That's why I'm going over that. And what is the application process? I just got done doing, we did our VBS already two weeks ago. Woohoo! And uh, it was much cooler in our non air conditioned gym. And I couldn't get up front in the church and just say, who would like to help? I could for cutting out things, for doing some shopping, for fixing food, but I could not do that for who would come and work with the children because we don't know everybody's background. So, if they're going to work with your children at your church, you have to have a background check. And if you don't know how to do that, just call the conference office, talk to the uh, Human Resources Department, probably Annette Metz, and she will get them. It's an online process. But all, if they're, if they're in adventures or if they're in Pathfinders or Sabbath School, the people working with them need to go through all of those. But I just want to uh, take a moment to make sure your kids are safe. Now, also, look at your church or and sometimes your daycare. The infant to adult ratio is three, those tiny, tiny babies. If you have toddlers, you need one adult to six children. And I'm not sure, you know that little boy in the middle that I showed you early on? He's a toddler. I think I need a one-to-one -one ratio with him because I have trouble keeping up. And preschoolers, those are the, the three, four, five-year-olds, ten. Ten children to one adult. And then for elementary, unless you're in the classroom, and then they can give you as many as they want. But for some of the things that you might volunteer for at your church, you're looking... You know, nominating committee, they probably are already done with you, but you really want to have one adult for every 12 children you're needing to deal with, and those are just some rules of thumb. 
So if we look, and I added 18 months into this one because my grandson, who's 16 months, some of the things that a two-year-old could do, he could fall into. And I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, it really is about where are they in their developmental stages. So I'm going to give you some ages, and you who have young children go, that does not match up with my child at all. Okay, every child is at a different developmental stage. It could come half a year early. It sounds like your four-year-old is coming half a year late. It will happen. Four is fantastic. So hang in there for a little bit longer. Don't you think so? I always thought when they hit four, they were just little, little people, a little bit more. Now, I'm having a great time with the grandchildren. Unfortunately, I get to babysit a lot. But um, please, when you look at these numbers, understand you're looking at it could be six months either side of that number, okay? And not all children are all the same, and they'll develop at different time frames. Um, but some of the things, some of the characteristics are really important to keep an eye on. And let's take a look at this little age range. They're physical. They move all the time. And you're going to see that all the way through. So once you write down move all the time, that applies to all of them. And I, was, oh, I got to be over in the junior tent this morning, junior two, and tell them a story. And before the story, those folks, those leaders, um, they took them outside to do a little activity of matching and making a memory verse. So they were keeping their juniors moving. This is, this is something we have to remember. And if you have children at home, you already know they move all the time. They need room to roam. So, for instance, our Cradle Roll Sabbath School in Grand Rapids is the biggest room in the building outside the sanctuary because we need space for those little ones to move around. But we can always tell when a child hasn't been in Cradle Roll Sabbath School and they start in kindergarten or primary because cradle roll, or beginners, whatever you want to call it, is where they learn how to sit down and listen. And so children who don't have that experience. And by the way, encourage children to start going to Sabbath school as soon as possible. It took me six months to convince my, my older son to bring his little girl to Sabbath school. She'd love it. She loved it so much that when her baby brother was born, when he was six days old, he was at Sabbath school. And you could see him listening to the songs and just thoroughly enjoying the music because we do a lot of music at that age. So encourage people to bring your, their children to Sabbath school. It's, it's a wonderful place, and hopefully your Sabbath school gives them some room to roam and some activity. Um, I also want to add to them their at this stage, their big muscles are beginning to develop, but their smaller muscles aren't. In other words, they're clumsy and klutzy and fall down a lot. And I, I have this 16-month-old grandson, and he can't walk a straight line to save his life. And we finally decided he always has to be going, where am I going to go next? Where am I going next? And he just staggers and swaggers and... Um, we were kind of worried till we figured out what was on his mind, and that's because he's looking everywhere for the next spot he wants to go. 
and children are different in the family. If you've got more than one, one, you know that. So maybe you have a good one who behaves themselves that you're dealing with as a parent, and the next one comes along, and they're totally different, and that's normal. But it doesn't really prepare you <laughs> for that second one. Are you finding that out with your own children, that they're very different? Our granddaughter didn't climb on anything. Our grandson climbs everything. You have to watch very carefully because he'll be at the top of something without um, any kind of warn warning. They do really enjoy those simple songs. And my grandson, there's some silly songs like B-I-N-G-O. Uh, and when I would have him and try to get him to sleep, I went through all the songs I could think of, and he loves that one. And so one day at home, the little girl's singing B-I-N-G-O, and her parents are going, where did you learn that? At grandmother's house. They love those little songs, so as you're working with them and helping them, help them with, a, he would go to sleep when I'd sing to him. And now I'll sing to him, not in public, but to him. And his mom was saying, how do you get him to sleep so fast? Well, we have this routine, and routines are tremendously important. Tomorrow, my seminar, we're going to talk a lot more about that. But he knows that when I pick him up, take his shoes off, wrap him in a blanket, and start to sing and rock him, that his choices have ended. He's going to have to go to sleep, and uh, which he usually does. Now, uh, cognitive and emotional, they have a really short attention span but it's longer than people give them credit for. Okay? I work with beginner Sabbath school, so I have the zero to four-year-olds on a weekly basis, and they, um, some of them will engage for quite a while, and some of them do have that short attention span. Again, every child is different. We might spend five minutes talking about a certain animal or a certain group of animals or whatever our topic is, and most of them will be deeply engaged but there's the one who doesn't have it. And we're finding out more and more that has to do with how much screen time they have, that they're um, not able to stay focused unless things are moving fast for them. Also, with this young age group, they want to do stuff without your help. Now, that's to the older end of the group, but they're going to try to express their independence. They're going to try to put their own shoes on. They're going to try to put their own clothes on. Um, it can be rather hilarious. They try, the, my middle grandchild tries to put my shoes on. And this week he actually tried to put them on the right direction. That was, that was new. Usually it's heel over toes. But uh, as they get a little bit older in, in the two-year-olds, they start being able to recognize their name in print. So they can I begin to um, start identifying some of those shapes and letters. This is where they use the no word no now. Grandson at 60 months has started to say S for yes. So you ask the question the right way, and he can say S. But the longer you get into twos, which is why they get the name the terrible twos, because they say no. Well, that goes right back to they want to do it themselves. They don't want to be bossed around. And they've heard no a lot. 
So if the child has heard no a lot, they're going to use no a lot. So as you work with your kids, try to find ways to get the yes answer. We're having a good time, yes? You want to wear this red shirt, yes? You know, just kind of help them. And one of the things when my, I have two sons, obviously. Well, two sons, so I have the grandchildren. And what we tried to do is we tried to put as many things out of the way as possible so it limited the word no. So that when we said no, it was usually something they really had to pay attention to. Like they were going to run into something because they're staggering around. Like the coffee table or the wall or the floor. Or just no, you know, stop, you're in danger. So if you can find less reason, less things to say no about, that becomes a much easier time for this age. Socially, the two-year-olds, everything is mine. It all belongs to me. Um, they have little concept of other people's things or, or rights. And I watch this with the grandchildren, the two older ones. Brother now comes and takes everything away from sister because, of course, what she's doing is the most fun. But she goes and takes everything away from him, so she kind of deserves what she's taught him. But they think that it's all belonging to them. And if your children don't get along, you can relax their normal. That's called sibling rivalry, and it's been around since, well, hopefully it all gets much better than what it originally was. <clears throat> we won't bring that up here. Um, one of the best things to do with the kids is distract them. Again, look for ways to not have to say no all the time. So what we try to do is we look for ways to get redirect their attention. They're headed for something they shouldn't do, and we go, oh, let's go over here instead. Or they're wanting to go do something uh, to annoy their sister, and you say, oh, look, I have something over here for you to do. And just try to steer them in a different direction, because you know... If you watch your child enough, you know what they're thinking. Now, a couple of years ago when I was in China working with some teachers there, I noticed the babies weren't wearing diapers. They just, I, at first I thought it was terrible. They had these little slits in their bottom and their clothes and their little backsides were hanging out. Thought, oh, those poor, poor people. But their clothes were designed like that. So I said, how, you know, what's that for? Because... Well, they start potty training them as infants. So how do you know? You can tell by the look on their face. Okay, but when that look comes, there's not enough time. Hence the slit in the back of the clothes. There's still not enough time because one time I was riding with somebody and their little baby was naked and I asked what happened and they ran out of clothes that day. So it doesn't work 100%, but anybody you ask, they'll say, just look at their, their face, and you can tell what they're going to do. It does work when they're doing something, and you can see the thought cross their eyes about what they're going to do to their sibling or where they're going to go that they shouldn't be going. So watch their face, watch their eyes, and the more you get to know them, the more you're going to realize when you've got to distract them. And then this two-year-old age group, they don't play together. They play side by side. And invariably, they'll try to take whatever the other person has away from them. But 
you do get parallel play a lot with the SAGE group. And then it's really important to help them know that you love them. And this applies to all age groups. The best thing you can do is to help that child understand how much you love them and that you notice them. Some kids will do anything to get noticed. And so I want to look for things that are positive so that I can praise them rather than scold them. And it doesn't always work, but it, if you want them to keep doing what you want them to do, you're going to be a lot better off with praising them for what they're doing right rather than always making them know what they're doing wrong because then now they've got a whole bunch of stuff to figure out, well, what does she really want? But if I say, oh, I liked how much you ate your food today and you didn't get up and run around, that was wonderful. Or I'm very pleased with the way you picked up your toys. You are certainly a big help. And just keep reinforcing the positive, which is a lot easier than saying, get back in here and clean up, you know. And then spiritually, children of this age can understand that God made everything. They can't understand a lot of things, but they can understand that God made it and the Bible stories are true. And it's really important that we don't tell children things that aren't true and say they're true. And we know Santa Claus, Easter Bunny. Make sure that they understand that that's pretend because if we don't, and we say that's true, that's true, and Jesus is true, when they find out this isn't true and this isn't true, how do they know Jesus is true? Because that was all presented to them the same way. And just, I really cringe when people um, are trying to convince children that Santa Claus is real. And if you didn't know that, I should have given you a spoiler alert, but I made an assumption. If you have an adult dog, two-year-olds mimic the maturity of an adult dog, which may explain why the, the older grandson and the dog are best friends. But that child is going to rapidly surpass what the dog understands. Like, I, I have a dog. And she understands a lot. And watching the grandson as he's developing to that age and that understanding, the similarities are very... He can tell when you're going to go outside. He can tell when you're going to go get water. He can come, if you're by the sink, he'll come and look at you like the dog who says, I want water. He's learned to do some of those same things. Then if we move on to three-year-olds, and I don't think I had that on your sheet because I added that one in after I had to send this one off to be printed. But, again, three-year-olds love to sing songs. If you have a three-year-old, they're probably singing on their own some of the time. They love to hear simple stories, and they love to hear simple stories about themselves. Um, many Sabbaths, I will, we will go to my in-laws' house who are... 89 and 90, and take them Sabbath lunch. And it's an over an hour trip for us after church. And a lot of times the family with the two older grandchildren will go with us. And so my husband uh, indulged me, and we have a car now that has three rows of seats. And I'm in the back row with the three-year-old. And, and she's supposed to take a nap on the road. Sometimes that works. But when it doesn't work, she wants to hear stories about her. And so I'm 
you know, her mom and I are trying really hard to remember all kinds of those simple, remember when you did this. Remember when somebody told you this and this is what you did. Those simple stories mean a lot to them. And you can tell them stories. Um, she loves Clifford, the big red dog books. Anybody know about Clifford? And I know about it because my husband loved Clifford, the big red dog books. And so he had them for our sons. And now I have them for her. And she will sit and listen to Clifford, the big red dog, over and over. And I was getting a little tired of some of them. So we went looking for Clifford books, and I couldn't find them. So I said, okay, when we go home, we'll look online, and, and I'll let you pick out. So she got to pick out three Clifford books, which when they came, of course, we had to read over and over. Well, my husband had her last Thursday, and he, she said, Granddaddy, can you go online and see if you can find Clifford? The big red dog goes on a holiday. But what three-year-old says, go online? Well, that's kind of what we did the last time we got our Clifford books. But those are the kinds of things they want to hear over and over. There are some, you know, the Bible, my Bible friends with the orange spine, perfect for this age group. Over and over, those have those fantastic pictures, and children would love to hear them. And uh, they get to be a little more coordinated. In the picture of her picking up sticks in my front yard, she's compulsive about that. I love it. Helps me get my yard cleaned up. And hopefully the little guy will quit staggering by that age. Now, with our cognitive and emotional ability for a three-year-old, they are actually able to identify colors. Most of them can do it before that, but a young three should be able to. They will repeat simple rhymes and songs. So at Sabbath school, you might hear some of the same songs during the week that were sung in Sabbath school. Because in Cradle Roll, we keep the same program for 13 weeks because the children need repetition. And when you change it, it's really hard on them, I've discovered. Um, because we lose the routine and that, that's hard for them to adapt to. They like to pretend. They love to pretend. Um, unfortunately, my granddaughter's been in the hospital visiting loved ones since she was a baby. And so she's, she's become a caregiver. She's going to be a doctor. She has her own little gloves. Her poor bear is practically all the time under her care. He's got this injury or that injury. And um, she's just, because she watched it happen so much. But they're going to pretend. They may pretend, you know, whatever it is they see mom and dad doing. I frequently have to get in the cabinet to get out the plasticware to put leftovers away, and my grandson thinks that's the toy box now. So, socially. Socially, a three-year-old is beginning to interact with other children. And I think the early adventure program will sometimes, if you have an older three, they'll join that. And that's great for social interaction if you have that kind of time to commit to it. Uh, we just had VBS where we took children 0 to 12, and if you were past 12, you were a helper. And the, the parents were there with everybody up until 3-year-olds. And then the 3-year-olds, it was fun watching them engage with each other outside of Sabbath school because they could run around more and interact. They like to share and take turns, but it's not a habit. So if you're teaching them how to share, 
and you think they nailed it, the next time they won't remember it. And you'll have to reteach it. And that's just something, just plan on reteaching, sharing. And uh, it's very hard for them if they only have one of something to share it. So like at Sabbath school, what we'll do is we'll have two of the same thing, and then it becomes an easier thing for them to share as they're learning how to share. And spiritually, they understand that Jesus was born as a baby and that God is good. And when you talk to a three-year-old or a two-year-old, you want to try and get down at their eye level because right now we just tower above them. And as a grandmother, I can sit down and hold them on my lap and... As a teacher, I'm probably not going to do that, so I'm going to get down on my knees. So when I'm at Sabbath school, I have to make sure I'm wearing something that I can crawl around on the floor and um, that I can actually get up and down in so it's not too tight. And, but we want to look, be able to look them in the eye in this culture. In other cultures, that's considered rude. So um, whatever culture you're in, find out what the cultural norms are so that the children aren't feeling that when you look them in the eye, you're insulting them. And children who are three understand Jesus loves you because you're modeling Jesus to them. Whatever you're doing, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a child caregiver, whatever you're doing, you are modeling Jesus. And one of our VBS uh, ladies who was helping me She's social work in the public school system, and she was able to hand out VBS invitations where she worked. I don't know how, because it was in the public school system, but um, that was part of her way of letting her, the children she worked with, know she cared and she loved them, because she was inviting them to something she thought they would really enjoy. Then, now back to your list, if you're keeping track, we have four-year-olds. And again, four-year-olds are amazing little people. They are growing rapidly, which can lead to some uncoordination. But they're also, there's, there's like a switch in their brain that's adjusting about that point. And so they're beginning to understand more things. Again, you want to give them space, you want to give them time to do things. In the Lansing School, we had a four-year-old program. They still have a four-year-old program. And those four-year-olds would come in just the most, if I needed a hug, I would go into the four-year-old group because they love the people who are the adults in their life. And that goes on for several years, and then it kind of, those eighth graders, they don't usually do so much hugging. And then they get to academy, they'll do a little more hugging. Um, but your four-year-old is going to grow rapidly. They need space to move around. They also, let's see, I think I had one more thing for a four-year-old. Oh, they love to explore, and they're very creative. So you want to give them the tools to be creative. If you can get them outside, that's wonderful. And if you need a book, Nature, The Joy of Nature, I don't have it here, but... Those are different activities to take kids outside. You can take them out and just let them look in the grass for bugs. It gets pretty exciting. And there's a whole world out there if they just stop and look, just as King Solomon told us to do, to study the ant. But there are a lot of other things hiding in the grass. And kids need a chance to get out there and look. It's very important for their eye development. 
to get outside because the sunlight in their eye is an important, um, there's something in the eye that matures because it gets light, sunlight in it. Pretty neat how we were made. But let them roam. Let them, let them, you know, if you have different things for them to play with, just they don't have to be highly structured. This is a time where they can learn their numbers, they can learn their letters, but it doesn't have to be in a sit-down school setting. It's, it should be in a fun way. Again, they need to be able to get up and move and not have to sit in their seat. Ellen White said over 100 years ago that we need to let the children roam in the fields and um, not be tied to school until they're nine, nine-ish, eight or nine. And we can't do that as much today because mothers work or there's somebody not at home to take care of them. So the best place is to put them in our Adventist school. But we're going to keep that same concept of not tying them to their seat and making them focus on small letters and small words and to try and keep the activities busy. Well, one of the favorite words of a four-year-old is why. And that is not rude. When they become eighth grade, it may not be rude either. The tone might be rude. But they need to understand. And so how you're going to explain something to an eighth grader is one way. To a four-year-old is going to be a little different way. But they sincerely want to know why something is like that. Why do I have to wear shoes when I go outside? Well, the summer not so much, but it's snowing out there and your feet are going to get cold. So we're going to put your boots on. They're going to be why, why, why all the time. And what a tremendous opportunity to learn. That's pretty exciting. You're wishing your nine-year-olds would start asking why a little bit more often. Then you're also going to ask, they're going to say how. So they're going to start looking at how things work together. How, did, how do we make cookies? How do we make the roast for Sabbath? How do we turn on the stove? Yikes. Um, and then why, why don't we do that? Because we want to keep that off. They will also test, <laughs> thinking of you, they're going to test the lines of acceptable behavior. <laughs> they are. They're going to either test their teacher or their babysitter or their parents, but they are going to find somebody to test. And if they're testing you, they trust you the most, so take heart with that. And they're just trying to find out what the limits are. And this is some of the things that you're going to want to talk to them about. Again, good routines. I can't um, say that enough. This age group, up through about 9, even 12, desperately need routines because they need that predictability. And there are certain children who need routines more than any other children. There are some, my grandchildren aren't up here with me today because I'm going to get back too late and they've got to have a routine. Otherwise, the next day is not fun. So just remember that if you're having a little bit of trouble. I know that if, if your children are uh, difficult, it could probably be they need more sleep. It could be their personality. But it could also be a lack of sleep because children need 10 to 12 hours of sleep through the teenage years. And one of the reasons we have difficult teenagers is they're getting an average of six and a half hours of sleep. This does not help them. Actually, at that age, they're needing 10 to 12. And 
most of them are not getting that at all. So they're very tired, they're sleeping through school, um, it just is throwing their whole body off just because of the society we're in. So if you think that uh, your child needs more sleep, it's very possible. My older son needed more sleep than the younger son, much to the older brother's disgust because um, he had to go to bed earlier. So when he's 10, he's going to bed, and his brother's going to bed at the same time. But that's later than what the brother, you know, at, at 5, they had to go to bed at 8. At 10, 8.30, well, the younger brother, needing less sleep, went to bed with the older, same time as the older brother. But then they got up when they needed to. And that's an important thing, too, for your family. If you're having trouble getting them up in the morning, uh, James Dobson said just put them to bed at 15 minutes earlier every night until they can get up when you want them to get up, and that becomes their bedtime. That works amazingly well. Son, you couldn't get up at 7 to be ready for school, so we're going to go to bed at 8.30. Mom, it's still light out. They still complained that they weren't in a, they were in academy before they could go to bed at dark in the summer. So, um, you also only grow when you sleep, which may have been our problem because one one is six five and one is six eight. So maybe you want to be careful with how much sleep you give them. Then. No, they have Dutch blood, so I'm saying it came by it honestly, but they did get enough sleep. They're gonna, four-year-olds are gonna test your limits like we talked about. And then socially, they suddenly are able to do group activities, which may be why your four-year-old is having such a great time at camp meeting. He's got a group now. And they can function more as doing things together. Instead of playing parallel, they're playing with each other. Not always, but a lot of times you'll see them interacting. Some in this age group still wanna play independently and they don't want to have to interact with others. So again, you're looking at your window. You could be six months ahead, six months behind, but in general, around the age of four, this is what's going on. And then they love their teachers. I told you that before. If you ever need a hug, go into a four-year-old classroom. One of the things that you're going to do to help them spiritually, and this is across every age, so I'm going to reinforce that, you're going to model Jesus for them. You're going to model love for them. You're going to model forgiveness for them. You're going to model accepting them. No matter what age they are at, you're going to be the model for them to let them know what, what Jesus is like. A four-year-old will usually try to please the adults in their life, uh, especially their teachers, and we want to give them a chance to be successful. They're not going to be successful by our standards, but they are going to be successful at a four-year-old's standards. And one of the, the best suggestions I heard years ago was, when you are doing an example of, like for a craft or an art project, get somebody that age to make your example. Because they're going to do it based on their ability, not based on your ability. Now, I'm hoping that I do really well on a, on a four-year-old craft, but that could cause a four-year-old to feel like I can't do it because I can't do, my, my fine motor skills aren't as good as an adult's. And so once you start letting the children make the examples, 
So what if the chicken's nose is crooked and the eyes are drooping? It's still, to them, it's the chicken, and it's, it's beautiful. One of our, we did a one-of-the-kind zoo for VBS this year, and so we brought in different animals, and we actually had baby chicks hatch. Well, during VBS, that was pretty good timing. And uh, one of our crafts was a, was a little baby, you know, pom-pom chicken, and put it in an egg. It was so neat. And I looked at some of those chickens and said, you know, when you're four, that's a really good chicken. And they would cuddle that little fuzzy thing, and which helped them when they actually got to hold the real chick. So help them realize success. Don't lie to them about it. But you can tell them, wow, that is a really beautiful picture. Tell me about it. My daughter-in-law with the two grandchildren is an artist. And she's constantly asking the children, tell me about your picture. I really like the way you blended your colors here. Tell me what you were, tell me what you were um, thinking of when you did that. You don't have to look at it and say, what a bunch of scribbles, what were you thinking? There's a real story behind what they've done. Grandmother, this is you. Okay, it looks like a brown range of mountains. Okay, what am I doing? And then she has a whole story about what I'm doing, and it makes sense. But if I just looked at it from my adult eyes, I'm wondering how she sees me. But it was really, we were playing together in something and doing something. And so ask them to tell you about what they're doing. Oh, you fixed some food. What does it taste like? And oh, the things I've had to taste already. But again, we're looking for ways for a four-year-old to feel successful. And we're looking at it at, from a four-year-old point of view and not an adult point of view. Spiritually. They understand Jesus is God's son. They understand that relationship. They understand we talk to God through prayer. And most four-year-olds, some will close their eyes, you know, some will not. Please don't let them feel like they're evil if they aren't closing their eyes, because when they talk to us, they talk with their eyes open. So, yes, we want to teach them to be reverent, but we, that's something that may come a little bit later. My granddaughter will have some of the most beautiful prayers, and half the time her eyes are open because grandmother's peeking at her, because I'm watching how she's praying, and she'll just talk to Jesus from her heart. It's really wonderful. And sometimes she'll just sit there and stare off and talk to Jesus. And so there's an understanding that you can talk to Jesus like a friend. You don't close your eyes with your friends, so you don't close your eyes with Jesus, and that's okay. Um, we do want to teach that, and we do want to teach that we're respectful, but let's not get hung up on some of these things. And then five-year-olds. Oh, five-year-olds. A five-year-old has excellent coordination. Now, in, Grant, in Lansing, we would have four-year-olds, five-year-olds, and six-year-olds all in the same room. You can really tell the difference between a four-year-old and a five-year-old in their physical development. And our four-year-olds only stayed for three hours. It wasn't a, you know, it was a socializing event for them. It was, um, they were there because they were having a great time and doing some learning. And 
not sitting in front of the television being babysat, you know? It's, it, it depends on what's going on in your life. A five-year-old will have excellent coordination. They can put on their own shoes. They may not be able to tie their shoes. Isn't Velcro wonderful? It, I just love it when I see them come into school and they have Velcro because I know I'm not going to be tying that shoe. When I first started teaching, I had first, second, third, and fourth graders. It was great to say, oh, show me again how you tie your shoes. Why don't you tie his and let me watch? <laughs> so the fourth graders could show off and I could work on somebody else's shoes at that point. Um, they're, they're getting better with scissors. Now we want to be really careful with scissors. We love the round-ended scissors. We show them how to walk with scissors or only sit with scissors. What's appropriate to cut? Hair is not. Even if mom cuts their hair, they should not. But they are starting to be able to cut things a little bit more. And this is the stage which drives boys nuts, but for the next several years, girls are going to be dumb developmentally ahead of the boys. Now, one of the best things that um, I heard from a well-known speaker on education was that we process children through school as if uh, they were part of the factory. So any a child born in this year goes to these grades at this time, just as if you know we're producing parts through a factory. And so this part became ready at this age, and we moved it through the factory line. We kind of do that with kids. We say, oh, you're nine. This is what you should be doing. Oh, you're four. This is what you should be doing. And that's really unfortunate because our children need to be able to move at their own pace, which is one reason I love multi-grade classrooms because if a, two, if, if a third grader is functioning as a second grader, they can play with the second grader. They get to review everything a second grader is being taught. And then it, they'll catch up one day. But to move kids along and just say, OK, this is where you're supposed to be, they may not be. They may be way ahead. I've had third graders doing fourth grade math before because they were ready to. I've had third graders who can't do third grade math yet. That's OK. They're not ready to. We need to be accepting of that with kids because they're going to develop different things at different rates. They may be way ahead in height, but they're still, you know, they may look like a seven-year-old, but they're only five, and so their reading ability or non-reading ability is that of a five-year-old. So you can't go by how they look. We can't really go by their age. What I'm trying to tell you is these, this is the way behaviors progress along. And girls have a tendency to grow taller at this point and to be... Um, more understanding. They're... We had a whole class with only one girl in it, and that was rough because you wanted that, you like that boy-girl ratio because you need the buffer zones. Same with girls. I, have a, I had a class of girls with two boys, and I had no buffers to put between those girls. So, you know, God made us all different for a reason, and just because the girls are taller, they may not be more, um, more advanced. Or they could. It, and it's really hard on the boys. So we've got to be careful because if 
the girl can throw the ball better than the boy. The boy feels really bad, like he's not ever going to be where he's supposed to be. So again, praise them where they're doing things well and right. And then they can speak understandably. If they, most of them, if you talk to them clearly, they're going to be able to talk to you long before five, uh, clearly. They also are looking for your approval. And ask them open-ended questions. You can talk about recent events, trying to help them recall with their, their recall. One of the really nice things I like to do with them is uh, tell them a problem that I've had. Like, I was caught in a building and it was pouring rain and I didn't have a raincoat and an umbrella and I thought, oh, I knew it was going to rain. What, do, what, do I, what should I have done? And I'm thinking and I'm thinking and I look around and I found a newspaper and I put that over my head and I ran to the car. So I'm describing a problem. I didn't have a solution. And what did I did do to find a solution that wasn't a usual solution? And this is something you want, by five, you want to start doing that with your children because it helps them with problem solving. It also helps them to know that even when they grow up, everything's not going to be perfect, right? None of us have perfection. Oh, dear, I ran out of this, and I needed to put this in Sabbath dinner. Well, I should have got it at the store, but I didn't. So what could I do instead? And then talk through your thought process with the children, and this could start around age five, so that they can start thinking about how they should go about solving a problem. And maybe you're telling them, oh, and then I called dad and said, what do you think? Um, so we want to encourage them to think. And we ask them why. Now, if you ask a kid, why did you do that? The answer is going to be... I don't know. I don't know. So ask your questions wisely. Socially, they can play together. They're pretty good cooperative play. And they need attention. So they're going to get your attention either positively or negatively. So you're trying to catch them being good rather than catch them being wrong. Yes, you have to watch out for when they're doing things wrong. But they're going to do whatever they can to get your attention. When Kids are playing well together, we tend to ignore them because it's going well. But we need to be paying attention to that because they're going to turn it until they get your attention. They are able to do group activities, and now they're able to make better eye contact. Spiritually, they know their Bible stories. If they've grown up in an Adventist home or a Christian home, they know their Bible stories, and they can start answering those kind of questions. So, who's the baby in the basket? Oh, that's Moses. And what's going to happen? Oh, Pharaoh's daughter's going to come along and see him. <gasps> and then what's going to happen? They're able to know those stories that well by this age. They need things that are concrete and literal, not abstract. They're not going to understand um, things that they can't see and touch or haven't experienced. And we want to help them as they grow in Jesus, to, to give them those kind of things. They're able to learn their Bible verses. And 
they're slowly going to start be wanting to become members of God's family, but they're not really at that maturity level yet. You want to help them to be confident that God is listening to their prayers, and by all means, show them when prayers are answered. Or when prayers aren't answered, show them why that might be. This is going to be very important for their, their prayer life. Talk to them about God's love. Um, listen to them so that they feel secure. And begin to talk to them about God's love and enjoyment with them. The more you listen when they're, they're talking, non, uh, you know, talking non-step, the, the granddaughter talks endlessly. It's the difference between boys and girls. And I'm trying to listen all the time, but I'm trying to listen to other things. But I'm overjoyed she thinks grandmother is her best playmate. Just don't always get to do what she wants. And again, I'm going to tell you, model God's love to them. Modeling Jesus is the most important thing we can do to teaching children about Jesus. Six- and seven-year-olds, this is your first- and second-graders typically. Again, maybe not. If you're doing your child at their growth, it's not a solid. You know, you might put your child, your son, if you're homeschooling, you might not be more structured until they're nine. That doesn't mean they can't learn the curriculum, but they don't have to sit down with the books. And when we have first- and second-graders, we try to keep them very active because it's to me, it's wrong to make them sit at a desk all the time. Now, we got a brilliant idea. Let's put them on those balls, and then they're constantly moving anyway. And then you take C-sec pills because they're constantly moving. It didn't work out as well as we thought it would. That wasn't, that wasn't what they needed so much. They needed, it was good for some of them, but the majority eventually went back to chairs because that was a more comfortable thing for them. Uh, it is a time of rapid growth, and with rapid growth comes uncoordination, so just take that. Emotionally, they're growing independent. They can do more on their own. Uh, they still want your approval. The teacher, you want teachers, adults, grandparents. Socially, being first is really important to this age group. And if you want to go watch the Sage Group, if you're unfamiliar with it, go visit probably the kindergarten or primary, K2 or primary, and watch them line up. <laughs> so you come up with creative ways to get them to line up to do things. Um, it was about this age when my sons didn't have to ride in car seats, and it was before the age of booster seats. And they always fought over who rode in the front seat. Oh, and it was the stupidest argument. We were going one mile, and they had to argue about it. And so my husband just said, guys, figure it out. Quit your fighting. Just figure it out. And they did. They decided that every time they got in the car and they could ride in the front seat, they would switch. And they didn't argue about, okay, this time you rode a mile, and next time um, I only got to ride a mile, and then the next time you got to ride 10 miles, that's not fair. But they figured out that it would all balance out at the end. So they, I didn't have to keep track of a thing. They knew who was going to be in the front seat. and that Because being first is important. So if you can figure out, they have line order. 
in first and second grade. You know your place in line, and tomorrow you go to the end of line, and the next person gets first in line. And just be really careful when you make up your line order that people who want to push and shove each other are not next to each other. Cognitively, they're very eager to learn. Oh, this is such a great learning age. Now they, again, think literally, so you need concrete. Spiritually, they accept that God is present. They need specific examples of Jesus. So we're going to go through our Bible stories and talk about Jesus. And if you're looking, um, North American Division General Conference is coming out with a brand new Sabbath School series, I believe the first of the year. Grace Links will be going away, and the new, the prototype I saw of the new one is much, much better. I'll tell you, our church uses um, My Bible First. We love that. I think the juniors are using Young Disciples. But if you want to take a look at My Bible First, the lady is over in the ABC most days, and she can show you a lot of stuff that they have. If you're looking for themes for uh, Sabbath school, some great stuff. There's also some things that you might use at home for family worship. Just a lot of really good stuff. So you're, you're looking for very specific things that show Jesus. Um, they are beginning to move from me to we, which helps a lot. And then they need those regular opportunities to pray. And you've already been doing that with your boys and girls. So this should be second nature to them. And again, when you listen to their prayers, they're from their heart. A lot of them are not just the mechanical ones that you might get as an eighth grader. Now if we move on to eight and nine-year-olds, your fourth and fifth graders, good coordination. This, this is what I'm told is the teacher's dream age. So you may be moving into the dream age, but I'm going to tell you, I always thought third grade was the hardest grade to teach. And I've taught all the grades. Um, and here's why. First grade, the odd years are always the hardest. First grade is a challenge because they're new at it. Second grade is a repeat of, third, of first. Third grade, you have the biggest curriculum jump. You're going from everything to look at, to having to write more. And then fourth grade, you're going to do a lot of repeat of the concepts of third grade. The next biggest jump is into seventh grade. So just be aware of that. Don't be scared of it. It's, it's just something you're going to see. Their parents are going to go, they did so well last year in this, and they're going to blame you. And you can say, well, cognitively, this was a big leap for them, so we're going to give them a chance to adjust and to learn, and if they don't get it this year, they're going to get it next year. It's okay, there's nothing wrong. This is just uh, the, it's the way our curriculum goes. They are able to sit and work a little bit longer on things, or cleaning up their room, or studying their Sabbath school lesson. Fairness is huge. Uh, everything has to be fair. They've got to have rules. I would like as few rules in my classroom as possible. But with this age group, I had to have a list on the board because otherwise it didn't matter. You're going, treat each other with kindness. If it's not up there, you're not going to do it. And, but I had to get some really picky with some of the rules. 
you get one trip out to the restroom before recess unless it's an emergency. In other words, you can go anytime you want. But I had to have that rule there because that was important to them. So um, that was the way to be fair. All games had to have rules. Sometimes they're really silly rules, but as long as it's a rule, it's okay. Um, there is a value system. I used to use stickers for currency, and so they get stickers for all kinds of things. Stickers are cheap, and I can see them. I can just put them on their desk or something, on a paper on their desk, but they have to have a value system. Socially, status is important. That's why they always want to be first, because that has status, and so they're going to jump up. I know the answer. I know the answer. They have no clue. They haven't heard the question, but acting like they know it gives them status. So one of the things that I do is I have these popsicle sticks and I write their name on it. And I'll randomly draw a stick and say, okay, do you, do you know the answer? Draw another one. And that works all the way through 10th graders. 10th graders love sticks. They love to have, one year I didn't do that with my 10th graders. And they came in and said, Mrs. Shaw, where are your sticks? Uh, I haven't done them yet. Can we do them for you? So just letting you know, it goes on and on. They are able to evaluate alternatives. This is where you can say, do you want to play kickball or softball? Do you want to play dare base or whatever else, but uh, on the river, in the river, on the bank? You know, they, they can decide. And again, one of the best things you can do is get them all to write down their favorite game, put it in a, a basket, then let your student of the day, because they're the one who leads the line, every, if they have, uh, we called it the teacher's pet. Um, one little boy went home and said, so-and-so is the teacher's pet. I thought I turned that off. That's the teacher's pet. And the mother came in all upset. How come you have pets? Well, every day we have a new pet. Your sons, they know on the calendar. You write it down. They know when it's their day to be the teacher's pet. They get to draw the sticks. They get to draw the games. They get to be first in line. They get to have prayer at lunch. All the things that you fight about, you just designate to that child for that day. It makes your life so much easier. And then if you have it on a calendar, the parents can't fuss at you because everybody gets to be the teacher's pet for a day. So, um, They're able to understand more than one viewpoint. They're very creative. I told you, they're very creative at this point. And spiritually, they understand they need a savior. They, they, want, they want somebody. They know that they're not perfect at this point, not because you've spent all your time telling them they're not perfect, but they've come to that understanding that the world isn't perfect. They understand the forgiving nature of God, and because of that, they're learning to forgive others. And again, we talk about how do you forgive? Do you say, I'm sorry? No, 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 no. You sit down together and you work it through. You say, okay, you're going to apologize. What are you apologizing for? What did you do wrong? And there are consequences for what you did wrong. And then you can ask for forgiveness. And a child can choose whether or not they're going to forgive. They don't have to forgive somebody who's done them wrong. 
And then you say, okay, you've got these consequences. How are you going to handle this situation differently? As a principal, many a time I would have kids in my office who had done something they shouldn't do, and it was stupid stuff, nothing really bad. But it was, okay, what did you do wrong? Why was it wrong? How, what are you going to do about what you did wrong? And what are you going to do the next time you get tempted to do that? And what can I do to help you? And then if you really need to, we would role play what they would do or say instead. Let's practice this a couple times because it's not in your nature to do that. Or you've never done that before, so let's give it a try. And invariably, I'd never have that problem with them again. Now, the creative ones, they would come up with something new. But if they could learn to forgive... Now, 10 and 11 years ago, 10 and 11-year-olds, 5th and 6th graders, they're very active and curious. Again, we've got rapid growth, so they're uncoordinated. They, this is why they tire easily. Your 6th grader may have to go to bed a little bit sooner than your 3rd grader when they were in 3rd grade because they're growing so fast they get tired. And they accuse their teachers of overworking them. Emotionally, they can be moody. This is just your pre-hormonal. Um, patience is required, like with every other group. And take time to listen. If you're listening to them at this age, they will keep talking to you as teenagers. This is super important. Because they're going to start being able to trust you and to tell you things so that they can come home from school or from Pathfinders or whatever they're involved in, and they can tell it all to you. And that's what you want them to do, because you're probably not going to have your eyes on them constantly at this age. And you want to keep them talking, so you've got to be a good listener. And we want to make sure they have a lot of opportunities to make choices. I started this when my boys were three. Do you want orange juice or do you want grape juice? Do you want to wear this shortened shirts or this shortened shirts? Whatever our choices I gave them, I could live with either one. One of the things that bothers me the most is, do you want to go to public school where you can play sports after school, or do you want to go to the church school where they have more homework? And then they let the children decide. A, a 10 and 11-year-old is not ready to make those kind of life choices. Socially, they're more independent. They've got to feel safe. In other words, you're not going to, like a teacher is not going to put them down. They need to be able to trust the people, the adults they're around. They're able to think abstractly. They, they can look out there and solve problems and things. And they have learned how to seek guidance from God. You know, they're, they're reading their Bible a little bit more on their own. This would be a great time to be teaching them certain passages that are going to help them, you know, when they have to make a decision. And then if we go to our preteens, uh, mood swings, anger is common, and a lot of that is hormonal, so we got to help them through that. This may be a really good time to work on their diet because there are some, some foods that may trigger some hormonal changes faster. So really watch it and watch their diet to try and balance that out. Uh, in my career, girls are much worse than boys, but boys get it too. They have a lot of fear and a lot of worries because they see their bodies changing and they're not looking like their friends. Um, 
girls are still growing taller than boys. Uh, girls are, and boys suffer if they're short. Socially, their peers are now more important than their parents or their teachers. They're very self-critical. They look in the mirror and think everybody's looking at them like that. Whatever they do, they're talking into a mirror. What they don't understand is nobody cares. But some people do say some things that aren't very nice, and, and that really hurts. They do desire guidance, so they do need that friendship with a teacher or a parent. Again, you've got the growth spurt with the awkwardness, and then that leads to the low energy. So when you think you're preteen as being lazy, they're just being normal. Don't tell them that, though. <laughs> they are able to develop a personal relationship with God. This is the 12 and 13-year-old age, and this is typically when they make the decision for baptism. There's something that goes on in the brain at that point. Blessed is the man or the boy or the girl who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. And we find that at the beginning of Psalms. Bullies happen. Two to five-year-olds are self-centered. And I'm going to give you something if you can't keep up. So hang in there. I've got it all for here. Um, I didn't tell you that because writing is a good way to remember. Six to nine-year-olds, boys are very physical and girls are very verbal. Keep that in mind for bullying. Ten to twelve-year-olds, pay attention to what they're doing. There's going to be bullying going on. Uh, teachers are the security. Parents are the security. And if you, the Michigan has a great... Uh, link on their website to how to deal with bullying. So if you go to the MISDA website, you can get more on that. Psalms 1-6 says, For the Lord watches over the ways of the righteous, but the ways of the wicked will perish. No, they should not use that on the bully, but help them understand that and help your child not to be the bully. Excluding others, those first few years they get impatient with those who are behind. What you want to do is create a sense of team. 8 to 12-year-olds, they want to be popular. They need to learn how to be individuals, which is super hard at that age. Embarrassment, 6 to 9-year-olds, they don't want you to focus on them. Um, try to avoid being critical. Look for other ways to help them see things differently. Uh, 10 to 12-year-olds, big peer influence. We have, if people are being cruel, we have to confront it, though. Romans 15, 5-7, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. We've got to teach our kids this. Our kids need to learn that. Romans 15, 13, May, God, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, this is for you parents, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Call on God all the time. Parents do that. Teachers do it. And if you want to know more about my boys, this is the book I wrote this last year. It is in the ABC as of today, and it's Eric and Adam in the big hole in the ground. And it's a true story about that. And yes, my time is up, isn't it? Okay. We're going to have a word of prayer. 
Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the boys and girls that we work with, that we love so much, that you have given into our care. We ask that you will hold them dear to you and grant us the wisdom as we work with them so that one day we may all be in heaven with you. In your name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.